Romans chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 16. This is God's holy word. And I might remind you, uh, equally as inspired as Romans chapter 8, or 4, or 6, whatever might be your favorite. Uh, This is uh, God's holy word inspired by the Spirit. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved um, Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Uh, Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Well... Got through that fairly well. (laughs) It's easy to rush by a passage like this in your personal uh, Bible reading. Names that uh, in many cases you've never heard of, only listed here. And while you're certain that this would have meant something to these individuals who read this letter or heard it in Rome in the first century, it means very little to us. And like the genealogies, um, especially if we're a few days behind in our Bible reading schedule, we'll we'll quickly go by that and read something else. But one theologian made this comment, it is one of the most instructive chapters in the New Testament, Romans 16, what we just read Not just in the book of Romans, but in the entire New Testament, one of the most instructive passages. And we might say, really? What comes to my mind 
Romans chapter 8. You may remember, those of you who were here, that when we went through Romans chapter 8, we described the bookends of that glorious chapter. It begins with several verses that say, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who increase Christ Jesus. The first bookend is no condemnation. And the last bookend is no separation. You'll never be separated from Christ. What could be better or richer than that? I would say instead of putting this in contrast with Romans 8, that this Romans 16 is actually a way to fulfill Romans 8. It is a way to put into effect, to put into practice Romans chapter 8. That even our greeting, that even our greeting um, acts out the gospel. There is no condemnation, we say, as we greet another people. God welcomes you and I welcome you too. There is no separation, we say, when we greet someone. Hello, smile graciously to them. God is near you and so am I. God is is for you and so am I. All of that as we're greeting one another with a smile. And Paul here is showing the value of personal relationships in the church family. How uh, you greet, how you greet reflects how deeply the gospel has formed you. How you greet reflects how powerfully the gospel has transformed you. So yes, Romans 16 is a mighty passage and beautiful, powerful, and searching passage that gets into our hearts. Well, at the outset, let's say again that there's a puzzle here with this passage because Paul had not yet been to Rome and yet he writes this letter greeting 26 people, I think it is, by name, including nine women. Pretty, pretty amazing. But he's, he's greeting those individuals um, not yet having been there. But remember, remember that in the year 49, um, Emperor Claudius saw, observed the conflict that was going on within Judaism and what he really was seeing, the conflict that was going on between Judaism and Christianity as as Jews were so violently opposed to this that he he exited all Jews out of Rome. The year is, is 49. And we read in Acts chapter 18... Uh, that two of the individuals in this list, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, ended up in Corinth. And they conducted their, their tent-making business there in Corinth as, as, uh, as immigrants. And, uh, and, and Paul stumbles across them, um, and, and he uh, joins hands with them, and they, they combine their tent-making enterprise for a while, got to know them and, 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 and love them and appreciate them. And, uh, and it's very likely, therefore, that Paul met several others of these people in Corinth or Thessalonica or wherever they went at that expulsion in 49. And then in, in 53, at Claudius' death, many of these individuals came back and constituted this church in Rome. So Paul is able to address them uh, as, as individuals and by name. Okay. Our greetings, our greetings, 
And this is, admittedly, this is a little weird, a little difficult today. As I look out across this lovely congregation and I see eyes, (laughs) but nothing below that. And, and what we're going to be talking today is how to, how to, how to greet one another, even, even in this day of COVID. But, but the smile on our face and the way that we greet one another displays us as holy Trinitarian people. Do you hear what I'm saying? How you greet displays you as a holy Trinitarian person as a full-blooded Trinitarian. We look around this room and we see people like Rufus, who this passage says was chosen by God. Interestingly enough, the only one of, that, of, whom that is, of which that is said. And yet, for some reason, and we don't know why, but for some reason that was said about Rufus, but it's also true not only for the other, others mentioned here for us as well. So we look at each other as those chosen by God. Those people with God's favor. Those people who were once dead but are now alive because of the work of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of adoption, of course, makes us spiritual siblings. And so we love, as Romans 12 says, we love one another with brotherly affection. We have affection for one another that comes out of our eyes and our mouths as we greet. We are holy Trinitarian people. The affection of Christ himself is demonstrated in his death and resurrection. His suffering and his death. And so, our love, too, is seen as genuine, again, Romans 12, genuine and costly and personal. The way you greet others displays your being implanted in the Trinitarian God. It's wonderful. So today and, and next Sunday, we want to consider this, this simple thought to act out gospel affection in your greetings. That's it. And want it. Act out gospel affection in your greetings. Be full-blooded Trinitarians. And just two points uh, this morning. Uh, just two points. Um, that, first of all, The good news of Jesus is for ordinary people. The good news of Jesus is for very ordinary people. Some of the people referred to in this text are are just obviously very humble individuals. Look with me at uh, at verses 10 and 11. Uh, We're going to look at a couple of households for just a moment. Um, Uh, we, we see that those who belong to the family of Aristobulus, uh, Aristobulus, he, he actually was the grandson of Herod the Great. Okay, so this is a lofty guy. He was a friend of the emperor uh, Claudius. This guy, Aristobulus, was he a Christian? We don't know. What the text says is, is greet the members of his household. 
it is very likely that he was not one there at church. His family was children uh, and certainly slaves in his household. The same thing is said of, of Narcissus. Uh, bless, say, greet uh, the family of Narcissus. Again, at the, at the end of, of verse 11. Uh, look with me at, at verses 14 and 15. God gave us these words, these names. Uh, Asyncretitis, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Probably... Uh, 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 one of the local churches, one of the, the house churches in Rome, probably. Those who were, who were with them. The same thing I've said is Philogolus with Julia and Nurse and his, and his sister and Olympus and the saints. These are, these are normal, ordinary people. Flip with me over to, uh, to, to verse 23 for a moment and, t- and take a look at this. This again, uh, um, um, talking about the, the greetings from Gaius, who is a, who is a host to me and to the whole church. And he greets um, Aristus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus. Two more people, except for they are very different in nature. Um, w- one of them, uh, um, um, Aristus, was a city treasurer, and he was likely what we might think of as a GS 12 or 13 uh, with a, a salary of somewhere upwards of $100,000. He was a, a, a well-positioned individual. Quartus, and I've actually learned this in, in Phoenix, visiting Elaine and Mike a few years ago. The pastor there was preaching on this passage. And, and he, I, mean, I think he's correct, identifying Quartus as a slave. That's the number four. And it's a dehumanizing way to name or identify your slaves. One, two, three, four. Number four, uh, get my coffee. Quartus and Erastus in the same sentence in the same church. All kinds of backgrounds in the church. Those that, There are humble ones, but there are also very impressive ones. I think, for example, of Apelles, who, who is approved in Christ. Verse 10, look at that. Apelles is approved in Christ. A couple of the commentators said, well, it must be that he was enduring great suffering at some point, persecution perhaps, and he was valiant and, and steadfast in following Christ. Well, maybe, maybe, but maybe not. The first thing that comes to my mind is that was a guy who still had a lot of the hood in him, still a lot of the street in him, and you might not, you might look down on him, and you say, no, 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 wait a minute, he's approved in Christ too. Not just you sweet-smelling, well-buttoned-down types, Paul's saying. Could be. And then there's Rufus, who strikes me as being somewhat of a celebrity status. And he's the one that is identified as chosen in the Lord. Why? We don't know. But he was certainly unusual. He was different. Um, Remember in the Gospel of Mark, um, Mark, uh, who wrote his Gospel from Rome, okay? 
And he says uh, in, in Mark 15, he identifies Simon of Cyrene as the one who identified or, or who, um, who carried the cross of Jesus. And, and then he identifies him by saying the father of Alexander and Rufus. I think we have no reason to doubt tradition. Uh, that uh, that this Rufus listed here is Simon's son. Can you imagine having a guy in your church whose father carried the cross of Jesus? Wow! Celebrity status, for sure. Be amazed at that. So, the gospel comes for ordinary people. Ordinary sinners. God finds, do not object to being ordinary. Do not object to being small. God finds ordinary sinners like us. He finds ordinary sinners like you and me. Those are elect sinners. Elect before the foundation of the world. Chosen by God. And then washed by the blood of Jesus. And those whom God has chosen, consider one another as those whom God has chosen and be thinking in your mind, this is one of whom God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Romans 9. God found you. God knows your name. He loves you. By the work of the Holy Spirit, your name is written in God's book too. So you greet one another as ordinary people. Ordinary sinners, but forgiven sinners. You greet with a smile with an amazed acknowledgement washed by the blood. Objects of God's compassion. So your greeting speaks of God's joyful welcome. They're not just glad to see you. You're not just glad to see them. But we are welcomed by the Father. In your greeting, uh, people get to hear and feel something of God. We're in Christ together. We enjoy God's favor as we enjoy one another's favor. We belong together. We don't belong apart. All right, this is our COVID moment here, people. You're sitting there and you shouldn't look the way you do with those funny things around your faces. But I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. It's all the more reason in this COVID time to be here if it is at all possible. All the more reason. Because as you greet one another, even through that mask, you are saying to each other, no condemnation and no separation. And we need to hear that. Now, as, if, as never before, we aren't made 
to shelter in place. And one of, we don't know what, how people are going to react. What is the long term going to affect uh, be in the church and, and in our society to this sheltering in place, this, this COVID? But one of the things that deeply concerns me is that it would be possible to develop a sense of independence that I don't really need the church. I can watch it online in my jammies and with my coffee. And what's not to like about that? Well, we can't greet each other. We can't fulfill the gospel to one another's faces. No condemnation. No separation. Siblings. Spiritual affection. God chooses ordinary sinners and He names them. And it is yours to honor one another and to give and to receive that gospel welcome. God chooses, calls ordinary sinners like us. And we greet one another in His triune name. Secondly, um, the gospel unites all kinds of people. And this is a day in which the gospel unites all kinds of people. Sit on that for a minute, people. This is such wonderful news. Our world, our world is splintered before us. Uh, such things as identity politics, as it's called, separates people, but the gospel unites us. People, people share um, different, uh, particular racial or ethnic or religious or social identities. And, uh, and they, the people believe in our day that they may assert their rights and their privileges at the expense of other people. Example, it's not enough for the state to legalize such things as homosexual marriage in quotes or to legalize transgenderism. But it is incumbent on the rest of society who are outside of those groups not just to allow them or permit them a space legally, but also must approve of their lifestyles in a moral sense as well. And if you don't do that, you are an oppressor, you are bigoted, you are intolerant, uh, you are a hater if you don't agree with a particular, a particular lifestyle. It is said that because one has been oppressed, they have the power and the right, um, uh, or the, the right to power over others who are especially in the dominant culture. But our goal is liberty and justice for all, leaving room for differing moral evaluations, leaving freedom, room for differing moral evaluations instead of splintering our nation in its current civil war and confusion. That's what's out there. But what is in here is that the gospel unites different kinds of people and invites the world in its strife to peace with God and to peace with one another. I want to, I want to defend that by various things in this passage. Um, listen, first of all, to Priscilla and Aquila again. 
Um, we, we see them in verses 3 uh, through 5. Priscilla and Aquila, they're Jewish Christians, and this is Paul's greeting to them. He, he thanks God for them. But listen, he, but so do all the other Gentile churches thank God for them. What kind of people must they have been? They, they, they brought people together. They bent over backwards to honor the ones who had been the enemy of their, of their nationality for years. They were once sworn em- enemies. They were once called Gentile dogs, the unwashed, the outcast. And here they were worshiping in the same family. These people, Aquila and Priscilla, must have been simply amazing, welcoming, gracious, Holy Spirit-filled Christians to break down the hostility in a gracious, merciful way. That's amazing. And then you have people of different classes. I got this from a friend of mine. This may be a little bit of a reach, but but look at look at verse nine. You've got uh, you've got uh, Urbanus, uh, Urban. All right, said to have been raised and born and raised in Rome, a city guy. And then you've also got this guy Stachus which is a word that sort of describes ear or a spike, and it can can refer to to grain that grows. A country boy. you got a city guy, and you got a hick right next to each other in the church, welcoming each other, blessing each other. And and then one of the most amazing things about this passage is, is that that division that was so critical, so sharp in Paul's day between men and women. They are, they are listed together, co-workers in the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, nine of these 26 individuals listed as, as women. We're going, to, we're, going to, uh, we're going to touch on a few of them. I think pride of place goes to Phoebe. We see this in the, in the opening verses. Pride of place to Phoebe. She was a servant to the church in Centrea, which, which was... I think about eight miles uh, west of Corinth. It was it was Corinth's port city, and a really ratty place where uh, j- just uh, just a terrible uh, environment there. But she was a servant in the church, and it was to her, it was to her that was given the responsibility um, to carry the the this message of Romans, the text of Romans from Corinth, where she was with Paul. Um, to, to Rome. As I think I mentioned this some years ago to you, if I were choosing someone, it would be someone very much like David Bauer. It, big, strong, able to take care of himself and protect that man. He chooses a woman to carry this. Well-respected. She just couldn't have known the full significance of this document that she was entrusted with. But we know, and God knows, she was entrusted with the Scriptures. And then, verses 3 to 5, Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife team. Interesting that this team is mentioned, this couple is mentioned several times in the New Testament. And, and more often than not, Priscilla's name is first. And people, it's interesting to see what commentators do with that. That she was, she was a Christian first, 
She was more outspoken. She was she had a, was a powerful leader, and her husband was more of a follower. We don't know, but Priscilla and Aquila sat down with Apollos, and it says the scripture says both of them um, taught him, educated him, helped him. He was a brilliant preacher, but he got, he was all messed up on baptism. He only had John. He only knew of John's baptism. So they sit down together. Priscilla and Aquila teaching, uh, teaching um, Apollos. She wasn't just there to fetch coffee. She wasn't there just to sit in the uh, to sit with children in the nursery. And I'm not for a second devaluing that. Men and women, in my opinion, should be doing that. But what an amazing role she had to take Apollos to the Scripture and explain the triune baptism that is our privilege. And then there's Adronicus and Junia, part of the church planting team that Paul must have been involved with. Um, they were converted before Paul. That's a that's a big a big uh, sign of of their um, of their their strength and their perseverance. They were also in prison with Paul. Uh, suffering, this woman, this this leader in the church, along with her husband, along with Paul, uh, in prison. And one phrase has gotten a lot of ink in this passage, and that is she was well known to the apostles. Some people want to interpret that she was well known among the apostles, implying that she was one of the apostles. But uh, with uh, Junia here and and also Phoebe. Uh, there is, it is possible, and many people have overloaded the description of those women by saying that they also um, indicate that we should ordain women as deacons, in the case of, of Phoebe, um, and, as, um, and, and to the um, eldership, in the case of Junia. That's simply putting way too much weight on these descriptions. Phoebe was a servant, a diligent servant, who can do wonderful things at the call of God without the status of ordination or the role and function of ordination. The same thing true of Junia. They were both skilled and essential parts of the church without holding office and without that official designation deacon, elder, or pastor. And what this com- what comes through here is that Paul was simply not a chauvinist. And this... The New Testament scriptures that come to us are rich with the implications of our being co-image bearers of God. Jesus was not a chauvinist in that culture that devalued and disrespected women. This must have been a jarring text. And the church then is a shining example of honoring women to work alongside men in teaching and in discipling and mentoring with the, uh, uh, with the Word to those who need that. So we work together and we suffer together. Uh, fellow workers, Urbanus, um, uh, Prisca, she's called here, Aquila, uh, they risked their necks. That's a figure of speech for us, but they were putting it all on the line for the Lord Jesus Christ in that, in that context. They supported Paul, and it cost them. 
Tryphena and Tryphosa, those names, in all likelihood, they were twin sisters um, with those, those kind of cute, cute, cutesy names that one of them, and they, they, they both have to do with being delicate or dainty, okay? But they were not China dolls. They were working in the church together. We don't know how, but they were working well enough and hard enough to get Paul's attention. Mary herself had worked hard. Seemed like she was older now. But we work together and we suffer together. Well, let's finally, let's apply this to ourselves. I want you to think in terms of official tasks and responsibilities and unofficial ones. Uh, There are official tasks that we have. And and each one of us needs to have a role, a place, where we are serving the Lord in the church. Uh, Some are teachers, some are trustees, some are deacons, some are involved in women's ministry, some are leading Bible studies for both men and women. Those are official tasks that people have. And, and yet now, and, and necessary, and we want to get all those things back eventually, as soon as we're able to safely do it, back and running. But now more than ever, it's important for us to serve informally as well, um, behind the scenes, to have that, what we might call, even in the COVID time, a high-touch ministry, where we're contacting people, we're seeing people, we're with people as safely and as often as is possible. And and I'd like you to think about this. We're thinking now about informal things that we do in the church. I'm going to start a sentence, and I want you to finish it, okay? Um, I'm one of the ones who... I'm one of the ones who does this or does that. I want you to think about what hole would you leave in the church if you were not here? I'm one of the ones who is the first to call up helping hands and get, get my meals, get meals to people. I'm, a, I'm one of the ones who seeks others out to pursue them and not waiting for them to pursue me. I'm, I'm the one who sends cards. I'm the one who calls people who aren't here. Finish that sentence. I'm one of the ones who... Well, what will be the long-term COVID effect? Um, hard to say at this point, but two things are absolutely certain for our service to one another. The first of them is mercy, and the second of them is unity. Those are things that we must work at. We must work at as we serve next to each other in the Church of Jesus Christ, as we work together, as we suffer together in the name of Christ. There are people around us who we may not even be aware of, who are suffering in ways seen and unseen. When you do see them, they smile. We're sort of trained to do that. There can be people suffering with loneliness, a sense of alienation, a sense of depression. I've had to deal with that myself. I remember saying to Gail several months ago in June or July, I don't remember when it was, I just said, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep doing this. Staying at home. Got to get out safely, but I got to get out. 
people dealing with depression, people dealing with the fear of the future, people who don't have anyone else speaking into their lives, and so doubts are allowed to come in and gain speed and be overpowering. Not seeing anybody else, so imagine being left with your own thoughts. What a terrible idea that is. You get lost in your own world and bad habits of isolation. Bad habits of isolation can create or can lead to um, men or women, boys or girls, pursuing pornography or a heightened use of drugs or alcohol. Nobody sees. No one to go anywhere. People need your merciful touch now more than they ever That's the first thing. The second thing is unity. We preserve the unity of our family with our faithful greeting. We do it here. We also need to do it outside, but we do it here. We need to keep being the body. If we are providentially kept from being here, because of underlying conditions that are simply are, are terrifying to you. That's one thing. But if there are lesser reasons that you've cited in your own mind, and I'm not talking to people in this room, but if there are lesser reasons in your mind that keep you from being able to greet your brothers and sisters, you are missing out, and we are missing out. Be a full-blooded Trinitarian, with the blessing of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We need that now more than we ever have. And you do too. No condemnation. No separation. Let's pray. Open our eyes, Lord, to see your beauty, to see your majesty, and to see afresh how you have brought us into your family with enormous privilege. Let us share with one another no condemnation, no separation even in the way we speak, the way we greet. I just thank you for each precious person here. Thank you. And may we walk in the glorious light of the knowledge of the gospel and the face of the Lord Jesus Christ.